Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Season's greetings, everyone. Fantasy football season, that is. We are knee-deep already with training camps open, tackle football being played. Welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. So nice of you to drop by and here with me to talk about tackle football and music and maybe some other things, too, is my good friend Scott Pianowski. He is a very gifted writer for the Yahoo Fantasy team. He is also one of the hosts of the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast and the co-host of the Outstanding Breakfast Table Podcast, along with Michael Salfino. Scott and Mike have been kind enough, uh, or maybe I should say foolish enough, to have me on as a guest a couple of times, which is always a great honor because it's probably my favorite fantasy fantasy sports podcast. Find him on Twitter, at Scott underscore Pianowski. Welcome back, Mr. Pianowski. Wow, what a lovely intro. Uh, th- thank you so much for all that, Pat. And I just want to say how much I, I love being on your show. And you talk about football, you talk about music, you talk about pop culture, you talk about life events. And in in a really relaxing but smart atmosphere, you you get you pull great guests. I mean, you know, myself to the side, I'm, I'll kind of drag down your, your guest quotient today. But uh, it, it's just the tone of the show. It's smart, but it's respectful. Um, I don't know. I just, I just think you do. You a lot of times you've talked about some unorthodox topics or some controversial things, but you say it in such a reasonable way. I, I, I just, I don't know. You know, I guess I'll, I'll say it this way. This is the best compliment I can give you. When I listen to your work and your tone and the way that you handle yourself, I always think, you know, not only do I value our friendship and I wish we lived closer, but I honestly wish I was more like you. I mean, I just love the way you handle yourself and the way you're just always reasonable. And yet there's meat to what you say. It's not, you know, it's one thing to be reasonable, but never say anything of substance. But um, I just, I, I like the, the cut of your jib, man. I like your moxie. And um, you know, hopefully some of that will rub off on me today. Oh, man, I'm blushing, you know, and I know uh, my kids would probably push back on the reasonable part of that. Uh, As they should. That's what kids are supposed to do. <laughs> you know? I, mean, I mean, look, like at some point they have to turn on you, Pat. That's just what kids, that's the job of a kid. Yeah, it, it started, uh, you know, several years ago. So I think that the horses are out of the barn there. But uh, thank you so much for the kind words, my friend. And uh, yeah, our friendship definitely means a lot. Uh, and it pains me that we haven't had a beer or played golf together yet. But I think we're going to take care of at least one of those things in the very near future, which makes me very happy. Um, so here we are in the first week of August, Scott, and we have 32 NFL teams practicing in pads at full speed, which means injuries. And fantasy-relevant players are now getting hurt every day. I was just on NBC Sports Edge right before coming on with you, and I saw that Kenny Galladay limped off the field today with some sort of leg injury. Matthew Stafford banged his surgically repaired thumb on someone's helmet. 
And then add the guys who are coming back from major injuries, Saquon Barkley, Joe Burrow, others, people who've been following you on Twitter and reading your work for more than a few weeks are probably aware that you are always ready with a bucket of cold water whenever there's a spark of injury optimism threatening to ignite. Is that a fair assessment? I mean, I'm sitting here with Adalberto Mondesi on uh, multiple fantasy baseball teams, which of course is killing those teams because Mondesi has hardly played this year. And he was still pricey before the season, even though we knew he was going to miss some time. I'm guessing Scott Pianowski probably doesn't have Mondesi on many of his teams. I did draft Mondesi in the great fantasy baseball invitational before he got hurt. So, um, and then I, I backed it up with Eloy Jimenez. That was my two, three. Um, somehow my team is actually competitive in my league, although I have no shot at the overall, but I would have walked away from Mondesi after he did get hurt. I still believe actually in, I think he's a player that we have to accept is more valuable in fantasy baseball than he is in real life baseball. And I think a lot of times you can get values that way. Cause I, I don't care. Like if Jonathan VR isn't a good baseball player, I just like that. He's a fantasy guy. And, We'll see that in football a lot. A lot of times if the right running back lands into the right offense, I don't, I don't care if the guy is slow or did terrible at the combine or wasn't a starter in college, you know, whatever it is. You find all sorts of reasons to talk somebody down. If they land in the right context, it can certainly be valuable, and I'm open-minded to that. But the thing with injury optimism is that I, I always get a lot of pushback from it for a few different reasons. Like I've been giving people the cold water and saying, I pretty much wouldn't draft Michael Thomas at any price for a lot of different reasons. And so what happens is it upsets anybody who's a saints fan that upsets anybody who's already drafted Thomas or has Thomas in a keeper league or Thomas is their favorite player, whatever it is. And then I think it's our human nature. And look, I, I count myself in this, that, I want to see Jacob DeGrom healthy. I want to see Mike Trout healthy. I want to see Tom Brady healthy. I want to see Saquon Barkley healthy. I want to see Michael Thomas healthy. I want to see the best players on the field. And I want to see them see what they can do. I want to see, you know, DeGrom had a chance. I don't mean to hijack this into a baseball pod. DeGrom had a chance to have one of the most legendary baseball pitching seasons of all time. And now because he's missed so much time, no matter how low his ERA is at the end of the season, it's going to come with the asterisk that he, that he missed like 15 starts or whatever it was. I mean, it's, his, uh, his chance at having a Bob Gibson 1968 season is out the window. And I'll always wonder, like, what Wes Chandler would have done. Was it 1982, the strike season, where he had, like, some ridiculous amount of receiving yards, but the strike wiped out half the season? We know in 1994, Tony Gwynn might have hit 400 that year. Matt Williams might have hit 65 home runs that year. We'll never know. And so I want to see players in football more than any other sport injuries are part of what you know, every player's career is in the balance on every snap. I, I know that sounds overdramatic, but it's true. And I always say that don't go out of your way to find injuries. Injuries are going to find you. Like somebody today was saying to me on Twitter, well, I can put Michael Thomas in my IR spot. That's true. But you might need that IR spot really soon for somebody else. And then, you know, heaven forbid, this is, you know, we've seen it a lot in baseball. There's going to be some COVID spillover to the season. You know, some players are going to be unavailable because of COVID. So I, I don't know how that's going to affect your IR spot. You might think, okay, right now I have a healthy team in Michael Thomas. Soon you're going to have a healthy team in, in four guys who were hurt. It's just the way football goes. So if I were in a room where miraculously everybody thought the same way I do, that never happens. And my, myself, you know, my podcast partner on the breakfast table used to say, oh, what if everybody went to the diner and ordered blueberry pancakes? But that doesn't happen. People order other things. You know, I'll, somebody in your room will want Michael Thomas more than you will. And 
to take this, I, I hate to say this because I know, you know, you're a, a Wisconsin guy and I have great affection for the area of Wisconsin and the school, the University of Wisconsin. But with what's happened, injury optimism doesn't have to be always about the player itself. I mean, with what's happened with the Colts, with Carson Wentz, foot surgery, now Nelson, one of their best offensive linemen, probably their best offensive linemen, he's having the same surgery like a day later. All of a sudden, this looks like an offense that's shipwrecked. And Jonathan Taylor, who I was not only viewing as a surefire first-round pick, I was willing to consider him maybe at three, maybe at four, maybe at five. I mean, a front top-of-the-fold first-round pick. Now he's got no answer at quarterback. Offensive line, which I thought might have been a little bit overrated anyway, is missing probably the, the most key element of that line. And Marlon Max around, who will play some. And Naheem Hines, who I think might be a little bit overrated, but he's not a bad player. He's going to have a role, too. It's gotten to the point where I don't think anybody reasonable would take Taylor in the first round. I don't want to, I'm not even going to consider him until the third round. And I probably won't draft Taylor the rest of this draft season only because I'm just worried it could be a lookout below season. Just one of those seasons from hell for the Indianapolis Colts offense. Wow. Yeah. I just grabbed him at number five in the Raz Bowl uh, prior to the Wentz injury. And uh, I was trying to, sort of hang on by my fingernails to the uh, belief that, you know, he was still a top 10 value and, you know, arguing that, uh, trying to rationalize it, I suppose, that that Wentz wasn't considered a, a top half starting quarterback anyway. Yeah, Eason, uh, Jacob Eason or, or uh, Sam Ellinger or whoever winds up playing there is, is going to be a downgrade, but... Um, you know, we weren't expecting Taylor to succeed based on good quarterbacking anyway, but now man, with the Quentin Nelson injury, I mean, that's just a killer. So I'm definitely going to have to take Taylor out of the first round when I adjust my rankings, uh, probably right after the show. Um, and I was wondering, you just mentioned the situation. I I was wondering about the hypothetical of, of Scott Pianowski and 11 Scott Pianowski clones in the same draft where would Michael Thomas go? Like, what's the opposite of a game of chicken where no one's actually doing anything and it's going to be who's the first to actually move? God, to be in a room with 12 Scott Pianowski, talk about a version of hell on earth. Uh, who, nobody wants that. <laughs> I, I would have to be drafting him where I was so far removed from having every other fantasy objective filled that it was like a free roll. It's like, okay, if this works out, fine. And if it doesn't, fine. Because I've already secured not only starters at running back and receiver, but but like even backups that I feel good about. I mean, you really can't feel good about your team until you have at least three running backs that you feel that you could play. And I think you need like four or five, six receivers. You know, you need at least, if you don't go vanity tight end, that means you probably want two tight ends that you think of upside. So that's, that's a lot of guys. And then you're going to have to have a quarterback too. So it's easily into the double digit rounds. And, and the reason why I don't have a, maybe a, you know, put a fine point on it. Answer to this is just because I know how unlikely it is to see this scenario. Because again, somebody will always push back on me and say, "Well, what?" You know, like I, today I said I didn't want to draft Kyle Pitts, and people are like, "Well, what if what if he falls?" You know, three rounds later, and you think, "Well, okay, fine, yeah, I'll consider that." I just, I, just I live in the real world. I feel like those things never happen with play, especially a guy like Pitts, who's kind of buzzy. He comes in with a pedigree. There's a lot of talk of him maybe being treated more like a wide receiver. So all the tight end rules that would guide you away from Pitts don't apply them to him. I, I just don't think 
I'm open-minded to outlier situations presenting them at the draft table, but I know from playing this game for an awfully long time, this, those things just don't show up. I mean, again, go into your draft with a plan in pencil and be willing to audible and, and take values where they come. I'm all for that. But there are certain players I need a huge discount on, and I just know from my experiences those discounts very are very unlikely. I mean, Thomas, people remember it wasn't that long ago where he was the best player in fantasy at his position. There's black ink on this football reference page. And somebody out there is probably still clinging to that. Oh, yeah. I mean, we had guys uh, clinging to, oh, man, uh, and now I'm totally blanking, who was the uh, receiver who had the great season for the Browns and had... Josh Gordon? A dig. Yes, thank you. I can't believe I forgot that. But, uh, I mean, how long were people keeping the candle lit for Josh Gordon? And just... You know, I wonder if I'm doing that with OJ, with uh, Odell Beckham, who I've become. I, I've been fading Beckham for several years, and this year the price has gotten so cheap that, that you know the hypothetical room of twelve Scott Pianowski's. I'm actually starting to draft Beckham like as a wide receiver four or five on some of my teams, and I'm wondering if it's one of those. I also have an expression that once the cheese goes bad on a player, don't bet on the cheese going good. Like the, the cheese went bad on AJ Green, just wipe him from your memory. You don't don't draft, don't talk yourself into him. Arizona can say, "Oh, you score a touchdown day in practice." Ignore that. AJ Green is dead to you. I don't I don't mean it in such a grave way. I mean he's, he's probably a, a lovely guy and borderline Hall of Famer. Although I would say no on that. But I'm wondering if because the Beckham price has come down so much and it's even gotten me interested. Who I've been a Beckham skeptic for a while. Maybe I just have to accept that there are certain realities with Beckham at his career arc and what's gone on with his body and maybe the shape of that offense. I I'm curious how you're playing Beckham because I didn't think I I find myself in a very unusual position right now. I don't have a spreadsheet in front of me of what, where my shares are and everything, but right now I'm probably overweight on Odell Beckham. And I haven't said that in an awfully long time. Yeah. Um, I was definitely interested to hear you say that because uh, another Pianowski ism is a show me season. Like if, if a guy has been injured for a couple of years or, you know, has had two bad years in a row, like you've, you'll often say that you need a show me season before you're willing to consider drafting him again. And Beckham really hasn't given you the show me season yet. So I was kind of surprised to hear you say that, you know, you were considering him at his current price. I think I've got him maybe on a, a couple of teams. I mean, I've done probably 20 best ball and industry industry drafts 20 to 25 so far and I've maybe drafted him once like I'm not going out of my way to avoid him uh it just seems like I haven't haven't had the chance to to get him the price point I want very often like I'm willing to to buy into the idea like I don't know if he's going to be the guy he was his first couple of years with the Giants again but um you know, I, I still think he can be 90% of that if he has a season of perfect health. Um, you know, you and, have him, and the do Browns you know you are have him ranked. What pocket you have him ranked in? Yeah, uh, I think he's in the late 20s right now. He's yeah, like maybe I have a little after right like, now. I just moved Chase Clay yeah. over him. That, that's exactly who I was just about to mention. I think I've got him like so in half point PPR, I currently have him 29th behind Jerry, Judy, and Chase Claypool, just ahead of DJ Chark and Juju. I tell you, Jerry, Judy, I, there's a guy who I think I like. I think you and I probably like a lot more than other people do. I cannot get – I'm not saying this is the right way to play fantasy. 
but I cannot get that 90-yard touchdown he had in Week 17 against the Raiders out of my head where he ran past everybody on the defense, everybody on the offense, Phil Villapiano, Rod Martin, Tom Flores. I mean, he, he ran by the whole state of Colorado on that play. And if they can just find and, – and I think Teddy Bridgewater – I'm talking to myself. I even took Bridgewater in the fishbowl. Um, not proactively. It's I don't need him to, to play. I could easily drop him week one if he's not the starter or whatever. But if they can just get some something resembling competent quarterback play, there's so much skill talent on that team. And I know yeah, I'm not the biggest Fangio guy. And by the way, I had a, I had like a 17 parlay that was going to win if the Broncos had won that game and Fangio just had a horrible end game. And if I had a way to hedge it, I would have, but I didn't at the time, uh, time and place. Um, it wasn't life-changing money or anything, but it would have, it would have bought me a new driver probably. So it's about how much money was at stake, but uh, I, I'm a big Jerry Judy fan. I, I, I think the thing with Judy is that a lot of people look at his rookie year as a, as a bust, as a disappointment. And you know, he still was in the 800s and yards and he got open really easily. He just dropped a lot of passes. I think the drops can be corrected. If somebody can't get open, if somebody can't separate, how are you going to fix that? Like the Patriots found out Nikhil Harry can't separate. Well, okay. That means he just stinks. If Jerry Judy can't separate, but he can't catch the ball. I, I think you can get the, I think you can work on the second thing. I'm more worried about guys who can't get open. Jerry Judy has no problem getting open. I, I definitely want shares of him this year. For sure. And we've, like I've mentioned this on the show before, that Devontae Adams fell into that category as just a guy who had constant, terrible problems with concentration drops his first couple of years. I've never just, been more wrong you know, in a player. I was convinced he couldn't play. And I mean, I absolutely him. God, I've never been oh, more everyone, wrong in a guy. Everyone. Yeah, he just totally fooled everyone. And, and um, you know, and I think Judy even more so than Adams was early in his career. I mean, people recognize how good he is uh, as a route runner, how good he is with the ball in his hands, just a, a yak monster waiting to to happen. And like you, I also got Teddy Bridgewater in the Scott Fishbowl. I kind of think he's going to be the guy because he's, you know, certainly not an above average quarterback, but he's the kind of quarterback who can at least leverage all that pass catching talent in Denver. So, um, yeah, but speaking of pass catchers, just getting back to the injury thing real quickly, I'm, I'm curious, do you think any of the Colts wide receivers are now draftable in a typical 12 team, 18 rounds redraft? I hate to say the answer is no. I was proactive on Michael Pittman 10 days ago, seven days ago. I got to throw that out the window. And here's, here's the thing. Some people are probably saying right now, why didn't the Colts have a better backup quarterback? Most most teams are screwed if the backup has to play. I'm curious if they can actually swing a trade. It's a shame that Gardner Minshew is in their division because there's like a guy I would target. Or you know, look at the Patriots are eventually going to go to Mac Jones. Could Cam Newton be available? The 49ers are eventually going to go to their rookie quarterback. Could Jimmy Garoppolo be available? I, I realize that speculating on trades in the NFL is usually just like a, you know the, the thing that they do on t- on sports radio where the silly people call in and they say oh why don't the Yankees trade their you know their th- three worst prospects for Mike Trout you know that'd be a good trade um, I, I realize these trades can sound kind of silly but I mean imagine you know Ryan Fitzpatrick on the Colts or on the on the uh, Broncos for that matter I, I'm really excited to see him on the WFT and Although I'm not the type of person who elbows people out of the way to draft guys, I cannot wait to have Terry McLaurin on my team. I've already proactively drafted him, and, and who knows, maybe I've 
picked him over the wrong receivers, but I'm really excited for that pairing. But the Colts right now, what I mean, I, Jacob Eason is like a borderline NFL player, let alone a starting quarterback. I can't imagine he's the answer. Um, maybe I don't know if there's a market. You know, Andy Dalton looked really good on this team right now. I don't know if the Bears want to make that trade or anything. But how about Foles? How about a Foles Frank? Well, there Reich you go. For you that that makes sense, right? You know, I mean, right. Like, Third quarterback in Chicago now. I mean, that, that's why Wentz. That's why Wentz was in Indianapolis to begin with, because he, and you know, I think not everybody remembers Wentz was the MVP elect when he got hurt. He was going to win that award if he just had a reasonable December. And of course, didn't get hurt and get hurt in that Rams game. Yeah, I could see Foles. I'm, I'm not ready to give up on Nick Foles. Is a competent, I mean, your backup quarterback is like the donut in the back of your car. You know, you can go 100 miles on it or 200 miles on it. You can't live on it. You can't drive the rest of your season on it. Um, but anyway, this, this is you know, this is the thing that sucks about football. I was really excited to see if if Wentz could, re, you know, revitalize his career with a coach that I have a tremendous amount of faith in. I was excited to see if Taylor was going to make a second-year leap. I thought Pittman was a screaming value. Who did just who who flashed just enough upside? He basically didn't do a lot his first year, but he, he had ninety yards in the playoff game. He had at least one splashy game during the season. If Philip Rivers was a limited quarterback last year, I thought there was a very plausible story you could tell where Michael Pittman took a second year leap. And now I think you just have to throw it out the window. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, I really don't think any of these guys are draftable now, with just no. You know, no certainty at all about the quarterback position. I like I can't see starting any of those guys until Wentz comes back, and even when he gets b- back, you're going to want to see them connect for a couple of games before you uh, actually throw one in your lineup. So, in a league where you have to set lineups, you make a huge, great point there. I just want to underscore it that, and and it can be the player directly or the ancillary players who affect him. You know, one of the reasons why I don't want to draft Michael Thomas is that when he eventually comes back, then it's like, okay, he may be coming back on a snap count. He may keep coming back in limited packages. Is he, we can't assume he's just going to come back and have his timing and have his full snap share and, and be on the field in all situations. So a lot of times you need, there's like a gap week or two where you need to wait until they actually give you some show of faith, or maybe you're forced to play them. It's like, oh yeah. Yeah, Thomas just went 15 snaps. He, he really doesn't have his win back yet, or he's not in sync with the quarterbacks yet, or whatever. I, and, and teams have no incentive to tell us the truth. They, they could they could say, I mean, they could tell us he's going to be in uniform. He might not play at all. You know, he's just standing on the sidelines with a helmet in his hands. So a lot of times you need that show me game, which just turns into another week. If, if I leave you with nothing, let me leave you with this: in season, when somebody gets hurt, or it could be this month for that for that matter. When they say four to six weeks, I want you to hear six. When they say six to eight weeks, I want you to hear eight. Yes, every once in a while, somebody is an unbelievably quick healer. The players are generally the worst sources of information on this. They've been supermen their whole lives. In some cases, they they may be hearing their biological clocks ticking. They may have somebody chasing for their job. To let me know when you hear a player say, you know, I'm a really slow healer. I wouldn't count on me to, to hit that timetable. I'm going to be a lot slower than that. I'm going to take my time coming back. Nobody ever says that. It's all going to be sunshine and lollipops and, you know, oh, no way am I going to need that maximum amount of time. And the players have no incentive. The teams have no incentive to tell us the truth. And usually what we get is something that you have to have a BS detector to be a good fantasy player. And this is just one great example of that. 
Yeah, well said. Um, I think that's a good place to leave the injury discussion. Fade the injury optimism, for sure. It's usually good advice. Uh, but since we are sort of revisiting the Pianowski glossary with the cheese going bad and uh, the show me games or show me seasons in your double life as a, a fantasy baseball writer, you've got a term for reliable, unsexy veteran players who usually return a nice profit on a modest investment. You call them Ibanez all-stars in honor of former outfielder and, and DH Raul Ibanez, who was never this sexy exciting big ticket guy in fantasy baseball auctions, but always seemed to come through with a 290 batting average, 25 home runs, 95 RBI. Football players, though, can be Abanez All-Stars too. So who in the NFL is captaining your Abanez All-Stars for this year? Yeah, there's one point where I thought about naming these guys for football, the Joseph Adai All-Stars, but I guess Adai his career. I don't know if it wasn't boring enough or wasn't productive enough, or maybe just people just remembered Avanias, thankfully. So I, I just kept it as, as that. Uh, a couple, a couple receivers spring to mind. Um, there are different reasons why you might not want to draft Adam Thielen. I realize he's going to have touchdown regression from last year, but I would say the regression, what do you have, 14 touchdowns last year? They have such a narrow, this is another thing that I always look at. And, and I remember the first time I really, this concept came to me is when the bears at one point when Mark Tressman was their coach, I remember looking at their box score and just how skin, how, how short it was. How, there were like four or five guys were getting targeted. And Joe, and um, at the time, Matt Forte was, was playing like 90% of the snaps or something. He just threw to two receivers, a tight end and Forte. And that was it. I thought, man, this is what we want. This concentration. So I love teams with narrow usage trees, and I look at the Vikings. Yes, Jefferson is a star, and he's the clear number one here, and nobody disputes that. But Thielen is a guy they prioritize in the red zone. They don't have, I don't see, a number third, a number three receiver. I know they they added, uh, who was it, D.D. Westbrook, who I guess has ties to the coaching staff, and you know, so maybe he'll eventually get like five or 600 yards that don't help anybody, but that's not going to get in anybody's way. I, I do think Irv Smith has a path to be an interesting third-year tight end, but I think it's a case of Thielen's in his 30s now. He's boring. And a lot of people just say touchdown regression, and they walk away. And you can't say that. You can't, okay, he's not going to score 14 touchdowns. How many is he going to score? Seven, eight, six, nine? I mean, give me a number. So I think he he's in a position where he can give, and I know the yardage last year was pretty ordinary. I get it. But he can give back a lot of what he did last year and still make you a profit at his ADP. I think he's been mispriced. Now, there's some ancillary reasons why you might want, want to draft Thielen. I, I don't want to get too into the weeds on that. But he's somebody I've been proactive about. I also think these guys aren't screaming values, but I think they're values. The Rams, okay? And we'll have to check on uh, Matthew Stafford, who, who may have busted his thumb or hurt his thumb the other day, um, follow through, hits a helmet. You hate when those quarterbacks get that injury. You know, Pat, I'm not a scientist. I'm not, I don't work for NASA or anything, but couldn't they take a helmet and make it just as protective, but then put a tiny little coating of something soft on the helmet so that if you made contact with it, it wouldn't be as destructive as it usually is. Right, I, like a, I a like wrestling be, mat or something like that, an amateur wrestling There's got to be some way mat. to put something soft outside this hard shell so that you know, guys don't get as hurt. You know, the, the helmet is an actual weapon or a... I don't know, maybe there's just some reason why they haven't done it. I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm not inventing anything over here. But So I hope Stafford's healthy. And if Stafford weren't healthy, then that would change, obviously, our outlook on the Rams' offense. But we know they've lost their presumed feature back. 
They have a bunch of ordinary guys behind him. I look at Woods. I look at Cup. And nobody that I know anyway walks into their fantasy draft like, yeah, going to get me some Cooper Cup. Going to get me some Robert Woods. They're good players. They're not, you know, they don't have DeAndre Hopkins upside. They don't have Tyreek Hill upside. They don't even have, I don't think, you know, Jefferson or A.J. Brown upside. You know, I'm not as excited about those guys as Terry McLaurin, who I mentioned earlier. DK Metcalf, what if he actually learns how to run different routes? How great could he be? They're a tier behind those guys. But it's a very narrow tree. And we like Sean McVay. And he finally has a quarterback that he believes in. He finally has a quarterback who can make plays out of structure. And I don't see a third receiver to worry about. I do think Tyler Higby might be an interesting player, but he's not going to get in the way of the two receivers here. Woods and Cup are boring. And, and Cup last year, you know, Woods for years was like the touch. When's the positive touchdown regression going to come? You get a little bit of it last year. Cup was one of three players to have double-digit touchdowns two years ago. And then last year, he was unlucky with the touchdowns. Man, I want to see Stafford healthy because I just want to see what Stafford on a good team and McVay with a quarterback he's excited about what that looks like. I want to see that. You know, I want to see them go into the lab and take the two beakers and mix them together and see what happens. And I think Woods and Cup have been slightly mispriced all season. I'll give you one more receiver. It, it fits a lot of the same themes. Tyler Lockett isn't DK Metcalf, but Tyler Lockett's really good. Last year, Lockett had a, a season that was kind of unusual. Now, first of all, I feel like you could call 90% of the receivers in the NFL boomer bust. It's a variance position. And the difference, if you catch the long touchdown or drop the long touchdown or you're interfered with, the difference of one play makes a huge difference in a player's weekly score. Last year, Lockett had a couple of blow-up games, and he had a couple of games where he was invisible. You, you wouldn't even know he was on the field. That, in part, is the way the position rolls, but to his extreme, I just think that's – I don't think there's anything year over year that's predictive of that. I don't think it's like, oh, we can't trust Tyler Lockett. He's too streaky. It's a streaky position. He had a particularly streaky year, but he's still tied to Russell Wilson. He's still tied to a narrow usage tree. There's no third receiver here who's threatening him. There's tight ends who are okay. Joe Everett's okay. Will Disley's okay. These guys aren't star tight ends. These guys aren't gobbling up big target counts. And I think the presence of Metcalf, the exciting young player, makes Lockett look old and boring. But he's all the reasons we ever liked Tyler Lockett, as far as I can see, are still present. I think he goes a half round to a round consistently later than he should. Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. FTX is the fully regulated, safe, and easy way to buy and sell Bitcoin, Ethereum, even NFTs. Plus, you can earn free crypto on every trade over $10, all with up to 85% lower fees than other crypto exchanges. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX. Shohei's in. Are you? There are more ways to celebrate than ever before at the Jeep Celebration Event. Hurry in for great deals today on the only brand that lets you go anywhere and do anything. And now financing get $2,500 total cash allowance on the purchase of a 2022 Jeep Grand Cherokee WK Laredo 4x4. Don't miss this great offer. Hurry into the Jeep Celebration Event today. Financing for qualified buyers to Chrysler Capital. Not all buyers will qualify. Residency restrictions apply. Must take retail delivery by 5-2-22. Jeep is a registered trademark. Yeah, I've really warmed to him lately, and uh, certainly the news that Shane Waldron, their new offensive coordinator, is running more up-tempo, uh, running things at a faster pace, 
using more motion, which I think, you know, would probably benefit Lockett more than anyone else. Yeah, he's really appealing. And Woods, I mean, I think it should be the Robert Woods All-Stars when you talk about your football guys who are the equivalent of the baseball Abanez All-Stars because Woods is just such a perfect poster boy for that, isn't he? I mean, and, and maybe we should emphasize that point that you do not uh, – I know everyone likes to shoot for the moon with upside, upside, upside. And you can talk yourself into just about anyone having like this stratospheric upside. I mean, people are talking about Mike Davis, just kind of a a plain career backup as having this enormous upside because who else are they going to give the ball? But like sometimes you should be willing to sacrifice a little bit of that upside. Like Robert Woods, even if Stafford is really good and things really click, like he's probably not going to blow the roof off, right? But he could have like a very, very easy 1,200-yard touchdown season. And like the floor is just so sturdy with him. I mean, it would take probably take an injury to keep him from going over 1,000 yards and getting, you know, at least five or six touchdowns. So you know, round out the portfolio with some of these safe guys, these safe investments, and then, you know, have some of the the guys where you're playing for the, the big season. And if it goes belly up, okay, you can pick someone off the waiver wire, but you do need a couple of those stable assets. I agree. It's like, uh, we, we all want to draft the cake, but sometimes you have to eat the vegetables. <laughs> well put. Can I give you one of my... Uh, Absolutely, please do. Abanez or uh, Robert Woods All-Stars, it's Melvin Gordon. And it seems like people have always been reluctant to embrace Melvin Gordon. He had this disappointing rookie season where he didn't score any touchdowns, uh, had a couple of years with the Chargers where he averaged under four yards per carry, which you know a lot of people thought was damning, even though the Chargers' offensive line stunk and yards per carry is kind of a trash stat anyway. Um but I, I just wrote a little blurb about this for Fantasy Pros a couple of days ago. Over the last five years, Gordon has averaged 94 yards from scrimmage per game and 11.4 touchdowns per season. And I think people are going to regret drafting Javante Williams in the fifth or sixth round because Gordon's going to be the week one starter and maybe he's going to be starting well beyond week one and people aren't going to be able to play the hotshot rookie running back they spent a fifth-round pick on. Well, they spent, what, a, a second-round pick on on Williams, right? Oh, yeah. Sorry, I'm talking about for fantasy. Like, oh, right. Oh, sure. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, of course, a, a fifth-round fantasy pick. You know, Gordon, he's interesting. Um, he might even be what, what something I think I think Mike Salfino, my, my podcast colleague, would call Gordon a stink player in that, People, it's not just that people are maybe undervaluing him, but they're like running away from him, like he's got toxic waste all over him. And man, he's had a weird career. I mean, he couldn't score a touchdown the first year, and then he scored ten. Um, and Mike and I have actually had some battles on Gordon um, when Austin Eckler started to spread his wings. My point was always with Gordon: well, as long as the Chargers still think he's good, it doesn't matter to me if Eckler. And this is a big part of my fantasy strategy: is that we have to play to what teams are going to do. I, I don't think there's really that big of a gap in the real life talent between Ezekiel Elliott at this stage of his career and Tony Pollard. And I mean, look, Elliott's probably better. Maybe he's better by a fair amount, but I mean, that gap is not monumental to me. 
But as long as the Cowboys say, hey, we paid Zeke, he, I, I still think Jerry Jones probably thinks Zeke is the centerpiece of his offense, but it really should be Dak Prescott. I'm, I'm projecting that. I don't know if that's necessarily true or not, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's how they feel. We have to play. We have to make our decisions based on what do the Cowboys think. And they think Zeke's the guy? Okay. Then it doesn't matter if we think Tony Pollard's an underutilized asset. You know, I, I thought Chase Edmonds was an underutilized asset all last year in Arizona. Well, he hardly got in the field. To be fair, when he did get on the field, he was pretty ordinary. And, you know, I was holding the bag on Chase Edmonds. One of the things I definitely got wrong last year because I had him on a lot of rosters and it really it was Al Capone's vault. You opened it up and nothing was there. So what the teams think is what we have to play to. And I think what happened with me early in the draft season is I got hung up on and focused on the Broncos took an early pick on Williams. This is a new regime. They don't have past affiliation with Gordon. They traded up to get Williams. That means that Williams has a chance to really spread his wings and, and be the clear starter when the season opens. And, and now I'm thinking that it looks like Gordon's going to start. And I still think Gordon is good enough that he's not going to just go away. I mean, I, I actually thought this sounds really misguided now. I thought about two months ago or six weeks ago, maybe Gordon was in danger of not making the team. Now I think Gordon's going to be starting opening day. I may have a Williams share or two. I, it wasn't like I was pounding the table for him, but I, I think I had Williams and Gordon misranked. And I, I still, at this moment, may have them misranked. I'll review my rankings when we finish this pod. But I think you're right that the the death certificate on Gordon or the haste of the Broncos want to move on. They want they want to kick Gordon to the curb, and they want to make him a secondary player. I, I think that story was written far too prematurely. And because, again, we're investing in a player that other people – it's not that the people don't even want to draft Gordon. In a lot of people's minds, he's not on their board. They're like, oh, I'm over Gordon. I'm done drafting him. And it seems like from what I, I can ascertain from Broncos camp that not only is, is he still in their plans, he right now looks like the presumed starter. Yeah, and he's now entering the journeyman phase of his career fine. And I, I do have Javante Williams ranked ahead of him because I, I think there's going to be a, a workload split for sure. And I, I think there's a chance that, you know, Javante Williams could blow the roof off things where Gordon might not have that top end. But I do think Gordon is going to be, you know, playable in uh, – for much of the season, maybe at, at least early in the season, I think you know you can throw him out there as a flex play. And um, the other thing that's kind of funny is like this guy's got a track record of NFL success, and he was actually a better prospect than Javante Williams was. Like bigger, faster, more productive in college. So, um, I and and not to knock Javante. I mean, if you look at my rankings, I, I think you'll see that I'm not being disrespectful to him. But uh, it just seems like Gordon is is getting crapped on uh, wrongly, in my opinion. Um, so Scott, we're entering our busy time of year now. You especially with baseball season still going on and football getting into high gear. But last month you were able to get away for a few days. So tell me about this golf trip in northern Michigan. I was just admiring the photo you have pinned to the top of your Twitter page. Uh, it's you on the tee of a long par three. And what a nice high finish, my man. Just gorgeous. <laughs> I wish I could say my spring always looks that good. I uh, Props to my friend Dom Port who took that photo uh, because I, I don't uh, – if you took 100 golf photos of me, not 99 of them probably wouldn't be shareable. But um, 
I obviously felt pretty good about that one if I'm putting it on my Twitter account. And uh, yeah, props to Don Port, props to Steve Gleason, props to Larry Holt, three very dear old friends who I've played softball with, I've played fantasy sports with. Um, you know, Larry Holt and I go back to, uh, we're in the same driver's ed class. Steve and I grew up playing street hockey. I mean, these are some of my oldest friends and they're just great guys. And for a week we played golf and we watched TV and we, we had great meals. I, I don't know how many steaks I ate, but it was a lot. And uh, we had, you know, we had drinks on occasion and, and just had the type of guy time and friend time and, you know, unplugged time. I did bring a laptop with me, but I almost never had it on. All my work was done ahead of time with a very, I, I think I had to work maybe like a half hour every day, but it was nothing. And a trip we were going to make in 2020 and for obvious reasons that got scrubbed, but we were able to make it uh, this year. If you do get up to anywhere in Northern Michigan, my favorite course that we played was a place called Bay Harbor, which is right by Petoskey, Michigan. It's a very cute little town. And uh, we had a couple of meals in Petoskey too. Really, really great. We stayed at a, we had an awesome Porty. My friend Porty found a great rental uh, on Boyne, Mar- Boyne, Martin, Boyne Mountain. And if you're not a golfer, if you're never going to Michigan, none of this will, will matter to you. But what will matter to you is this, you know, and I, I don't think I'm saying anything that people can't see for themselves, but with what's gone on in the world, in the last year or two, it's taken away a lot of our freedoms. It's taken away a lot of our opportunity to see people, to travel, to have vacations, to have experiences. And thankfully we were able to do this and I was able to see some people. I mean, you know, I don't know, for a year and a half, I didn't even leave Michigan and I hadn't seen these guys for such a long time. And, um, you know, my friend Steve is in, is in a band. I like to go see him when I can. And a lot of times we'll center that around our fantasy. We're all in the same fantasy baseball keeper league. A couple of years ago, Steve coordinated it. So his band, um, I forget if it was the Americans or Syndicate, he's in a couple of different bands, but uh, one of his bands played the weekend we had our fantasy baseball draft. So after the draft, we went and saw his band. It was fantastic. So, I mean, the point is life is short. Nobody's getting any younger. And so, um, you know, take the opportunity to, whatever it is you've been waiting to do, if your health checks out and if you can get time off from work, you know, go ahead and do it. If you wait, I guess the takeaway is if you wait for the perfect time to do anything, to make a job change, to, to move, to, to take a vacation you've dreamed about, uh, to adopt a pet, whatever it is, um, to, to get married, to have kids. If you wait for the perfect time to do things, you'll never do almost anything in your life. Not that we were all risk takers taking a vacation or anything, but I'm just, I can't say enough how I feel about those guys. What a great trip it was. And golf kind of got me through the pandemic I mean, for a lot. I had a lot of dark, moments in my life last last year like a lot of people did and a lot of times i worked that out on the driving range just trying to find my swing and and trying to you know for a long time i was really into scrabble some people may know that i was a competitive scrabble player tournament scrabble player i've had three different plays published in scrabble books and journals i know nobody cares about that but i was pretty good at one point I, i was probably i don't know um like a Kirk Cousins, you know, uh, level Scrabble player in the Scrabble world. I was good. I was certainly not going to go to the Hall of Fame or anything like that, but I was capable of beating anybody on the right day. And that kind of morphed into poker. I got kind of turned off by some of the politics of Scrabble. And man, there's still like a holy war going on of which dictionary should we use in Scrabble. And, And a lot of people are arguing with each other daily about Scrabble. It sounds crazy, but it's true. So then I pivoted to, to poker for a long time and 
uh, red, I, I already loved poker and was already a solid player, but I really wanted to be better at it and read stuff and, and studied, played a lot live, got in a poker league at, uh, run by my friend Dean, a uh, really great guy. And I was in first place in the poker league when the whole world shut down, um, which was disappointing because I really thought it was going to be my year on the poker circuit. But golf stepped in and um, it was a good way to, to get a good walk in and, you know, when on the range, get a good sweat in. I met some great people. You know, still, I met strangers at the putting green who I still see every once in a while. We have little putting contests and chipping contests. And again, it was a chance to connect with my friends on this trip and, um, I don't know if I've if I've lost our football audience with this long, you know, um, parable here, but you know, hey, uh, friends are important, and uh, getting away is important, and unplugging is important, and turning off your phone is important. And I just hope everybody out there gets a chance, whatever it is that you're passionate about, you know, whether it's music or food or travel or you know any, any number of things, board games. I don't I don't care. You, there's something in your life you're passionate about, and you share that passion with people. I, I hope you get some time to spend with those people doing it. Cause man, did I ever need it? And I'm so glad I'm, st I'm still on a high from that trip. Well, I certainly know about your passion for music. Uh, when I was on the breakfast table pod with you and, and Sal Fino a couple of weeks ago, we had a good debate about the best Rolling Stone songs at the end of the, the episode. And, uh, and Mike obviously wasn't thrilled about my nomination of waiting on a friend. I mean, he, he made me feel like a teenager who just scratched uh, dad's car. But then, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just such disapproval. I mean, I, I, you know, wanted to go up to my room and, uh, sulk for a few hours, but then you and Mike had a, an interesting John Lennon, Paul McCartney debate last week. And you've had this debate before you stated your position that McCartney's songs just don't move you the way Lennon's songs do. Um, and I had a couple of follow-up questions about that if you don't mind. Sure. I, I love talking about music. So, so what's your stance on George? I mean, it's fair to say that like, here comes the sun and, and something while my guitar gently weeps, maybe even tax man are among their best songs, right? I think here comes the sun is my favorite Beatles song. Although that's one of those things that you don't want to get locked in on any answer. Cause you might feel differently a week, a month, a year later, but, uh, it's, it's a song I never skip. If it randomly comes up on my music player or on the radio, I'm, you know, if I get in right when it starts, if I get in early, I'm immediately in a great mood. But I love a story. Joe Posnanski, the sports writer, tells a story. I, I think I'll get this mostly correct. That when one of his daughters was born, he used to sing Here Comes the Sun to her when she was a toddler. Never, they never spoke about it, but he would sing. You know, he would sing her to sleep, lullaby her to sleep with "Here Comes the Sun." They never speak of this. She turns, I don't know, eleven, thirteen, fifteen. She becomes, you know, an older. She becomes an adult. She, or a teenager, you know, a, a child. She starts liking music. She develops interest in a personality. And one day, he said to his daughter, "They've never spoken of this." He said, "What's your favorite Beatles song?" And she paused for a second. She goes, "Here comes the sun." I don't know. It's just something. Beautiful. I don't have kids myself, but there's just something beautiful about that story. Um, I don't know. It just gets me. It gets me in the right spots. But when it comes to the Beatles, as far as George, is a lot to unpack with the Beatles. Um, George was. I'm trying to think. There's going to be a great sports comp that I'm not thinking of, of of some player who was blocked behind other great players, and then he finally got to go on a team that that gave him a chance to play, and then he was great. I can't, I can't think off the top of my head who that is, but you know, with Dominic Hasek, I think was a backup goalie in the NHL for a while. 
obviously Steve Young was was blocked behind Montana, but that was just a, you know, again just two people we're talking about. If you can think of the great, whether one of the listeners or maybe you can think of it, Pat, this is going to be a great comp of somebody who was just dying to become a star, but we didn't know it yet. Or maybe you look at some of those Alabama depth charts, right? And you see there were people who went on to be superstars who the first year or two there at Alabama, they couldn't get on the field because of the collection of skill talent. I think George is fantastic, fascinating, uh, gets props for being in, in the traveling Woolberries. And there's that great, um, I'll admit billions really doesn't hook me like some of the other Brian Koppelman stuff does. I mean, I, I will fight for rounders until the cows come home. I think it's a brilliant movie and I, and I like Brian. I follow him and, and for some reason he follows me on Twitter and every once in a while we'll have a discussion. Um, he's always somebody I wanted to have on a podcast. I thought at one point we had it uh, locked in, but it did, it ended up falling through. I don't want to say anything negative. I like Brian a lot, but I'm not uh, billions. Hasn't really hooked me. But one thing they did on Billions, which was awesome, is they did this thing called Wilbury, not a Wilbury, which I guess the traveling Wilburys would just would hang around, you know, Petty and Bob Dylan. I mean, these guys who have so much cachet and they would talk about other people in pop culture. And if they had the chops to be a Wilbury, if they belonged in that circle and they were using this example of this thing on Billions and somebody said, well, you know, Jack Nicholson and they all nod and they go Wilbury. And then they said, uh, uh, what about uh, Richard Dreyfus? Like yeah, you know, great actor, not not a Wilbury, <laughs> and you know, I, I think that's that's such a great way of putting things. Now I'll, I'll give Mike a credit; he had a great line about this. He said, "You know, what's not a Wilbury is billions." <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but I think he's I think he's right on that. And I, I hope this doesn't get back to compliment. I don't want to ruin my pseudo friendship with him because again, I like Brian a lot. But I think Mike's probably right. I, billions. A lot of people think it's a great show. I think it's just okay. But that not that Wilbury, not a Wilbury thing, I thought was hilarious. I thought Harrison being the Wilburys was a feather in his cap. I thought he was grossly underutilized during the the Beatles run. But what are you gonna do? McCartney and Lennon were powerhouses. And and the thing is, the reason why Mike and I debate this so much, and we we argue about it sometimes, and I think Mike gets really frustrated with me sometimes because he he really loves McCartney and well, first of all, give us a chance something about Mike. He's he, he like some people who like music, who love he Mike doesn't like music. He loves music. He lives music. He worships music. He, he eats it up. He reads about it. He wants to take ownership of it. He does he's just like, you know, the the kid and almost famous and Penny Lane and all that. Well, we music is a part of us. It's a part of who we are. And you can say that about me, and I think I can say that about you, and you can definitely say that about Mike. He has invested so much time. And so if somebody comes up with an opinion that doesn't agree with his or maybe sharply disagrees with him, I, I think sometimes that he's taken aback by it in the sense that he thinks, well, I've studied this. I, I've done the homework on this. And who are you to be you know, having a different opinion? I, I don't think or maybe sometimes we just push each other's buttons the wrong way. You know, I'll, I'll admit sometimes every once in a while, I try not to do this a lot. Every once in a while, I'll say something that's to get his goat. Or maybe something accidentally just gets under his skin sometimes because as people often say, we're, we're kind of like an old married couple and everything. I have great respect and affection for Mike. I, I think he definitely knows that. I hope he listens to this podcast. But when it comes to Paul and John, I've said before that you know, Paul's catchy and he's a jingle writer, which that was kind of an unfair hit below the belt. But Paul's just such a – look, I know he's a great bassist. He can play every instrument and all that stuff. But I just look at some of the work that Paul did solo – and there were a lot of kind of trite and cutesy little songs. And I feel like 
it, look, I like all kinds of music. There's plenty of music I listen to on a daily basis that isn't trying to get deep or isn't trying to figure out philosophical questions or, you know, who I am or what I want to be or who my God is going to be. And, you know, I, I, not everything has to be deep. That said, there's a depth to Lennon's catalog. I think there's a depth to George Harrison's catalog solo that I don't feel with Paul. I mean, I love, I hear Band on the Run, I get excited. I hear Jet, I feel excited. Uh, somebody on Twitter recently mentioned how much they like the song 1985, and I nodded along. I think it's a great song. I even think the the wink of Silly Love Songs, which is Paul's like, yo, you think I'm just some trite little pop, you know, pop song guy? Well, here, here's a here's a trite pop song that winks at you and be, or maybe flips you off. You know, it, it, I think it's well executed what that is. But I can't forgive Paul for like Wonderful Christmas Time. And I think he has a lot of songs that are just very, very ordinary. And it's kind of unfair comparing McCartney and Lennon because Lennon had a lot of periods where he didn't record. He obviously died young. So maybe he gets the benefit of, you know, maybe he's like a comet like Gail Sayers. We, we didn't see Gail Sayers try to play football at age 34 or something. Who knows? You know, Sandy Koufax, right? We never saw Koufax hanging on with the Cleveland Indians and having a five ERA like Steve Carlton or six ERA, you know? So we always remember them at their peak. You know, he never became Fat Elvis, you know, or something like that. John Lennon, it just forever burns bright in our memories. But I feel like he can touch my soul and make me think and, and just get under my skin emotionally in a way that Paul's solo music generally hasn't. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, the the songs that were primarily Lennon compositions, like, I mean, they really pushed... Uh, I mean, pushed rock music forward in a way that maybe some of McCartney's stuff didn't really do. Like, Let It Be is a, a an undeniably great, great song, but it didn't really, uh, you know, it was just like a perfect pop song. It didn't really push boundaries the way some of Lennon's stuff does. But on the other hand, I guess you could argue that their stuff was so collaborative that we really don't know how much influence McCartney had on, uh, you know, any single... Lennon composition. I mean, there's, there's a lot of nuance to what was actually a collaboration, right? What was actually one guy did most of the work, but somebody tweaked it or made a suggestion. And then there's obviously examples of no, Paul wrote that. No, John wrote that. And it was just Lennon McCartney because that was the publishing relationship. And, and this is one area where I, I have to give Mike a lot of credit. I mean, he's done so much legwork with the Beatles and he know, he knows a lot of those nuances that are not commonly known. And even though I consider myself, I've, I've read a ton of books on the Beatles. I, in high school, I was asked to do a five page term paper. It was a requirement in one of my classes. I did mine on the Beatles and I wrote 25 pages, uh, just starting off my career of being long winded and talking too much and not being, I, I still think if you're going to be a writer, the first thing you have to do is learn how to be concise and I'm still working on it, but you know, brevity is the soul of wit and all that stuff. But um, it's, it's a, there's a lot of detective work to be done. Sometimes it's more obvious than others about who actually wrote what, to what degree, what was collaborative. Well, we know a day in the life collaborative, you know, but then there's some other songs that were clearly John or clearly Paul. Um, and then sometimes it was just a matter of uh, somebody suggested a different bridge or somebody just suggested a, a different melody or a different arrangement with the guitar or whatever it was. So Mike is an authority on that. I think I know a lot of that stuff. Mike is certainly more, versed in that than I am. Um, and also, you know, when it comes to this music stuff, I mean, I mentioned my friend Steve Gleason earlier. I mean, you know, he's in a band, two bands, actually. 
and plays bass. And so he's more qualified to like talk about McCartney as a bass player than I'll ever be unless I become a bass player in the next 10 years. Like, you know, like he has, you know, he, he's got musical chops that I don't have. I'm, I'm an intelligent guy. I've listened to a lot of music. I've, I've written about music. I've been a music critic at times and you know, I've read a lot of music criticism, but it's still not the same as being in a band. So, um, you know, when my friend Steve will say a lot of things about music, sometimes I just have to take a step back because I'm somebody who drives a car. He's a mechanic. You know, he knows this stuff at a level that I don't. But um, at the end of the day, I love talking music with people who are passionate about it, with people who live it every day. It's a part of, you know, I just wrote an article for Yahoo about players I'm fading this year. I wrote it with my headphones on. I wrote it with music in the background. And that's pretty much, you know, I, I always have music on in the car unless I'm listening to a podcast. I mean, music is just a huge passion of my life. And um, if anybody out there is, is into music, um, you know, I'm, I'm into just about all genres and there's some genres I like more than others, but I'm always up for a good musical discussion with somebody else who loves it the way we do. Now I'm going to turn this into the clunkiest segue ever, but it seems like, uh, we could almost consider Amari Cooper and CD lamb, the Lennon and McCartney of the, uh, Cowboys receiver room, two amazing talents sharing a stage. And, uh, you know, since we're about to see these guys on hard knocks, uh, are you a hard knocks guy, by the way, Pino? You know, I always, I, I am and I'm not, I like the idea of it. I love documentaries. I love behind the scenes. I love anything that talks about the creative process. Like I, I think the Eagles music is drivel. I thought their documentary was great. I'm not a Saturday night live guy, but I, adore i've read two different books breaking down saturday night live because the process of saturday night live the institution of it i find fascinating as you know i am a big football fan the cowboys are the kind of the perfect um, hard knocks team right i mean they're they're i I would think the the most branded um bankable franchise in the league right i mean this is the team that should be on hard knocks they could be the hard knocks team every year yeah, there really could be. I mean, they are just like automatic drama, I think. But I, I, I kind of like Hard Knocks just because it humanizes these guys. And, and maybe we as as fantasy people need that more than other people. I mean, we look at these guys as commodities in so many ways, which is, uh, yeah. And, and plus, my wife really enjoys it. Like, she's not a big NFL fan. She's more of an NBA fan. But I think she likes the way that these guys get humanized in the hard knock shows and, and like seeing the camaraderie in the, uh, in the camps and just like how these guys interact and everything like that gets her excited about hard knocks. I, I said it to you on our podcast. Let me say it to you on your podcast. Congratulations to you and your wife for the NBA champion, 2021 Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. That was a, that was kind of a fun one. Uh, yeah. I mean, it just, cool to have it be Milwaukee. I mean, Milwaukee was very title starved that the city had not won anything since I think the 77 Marquette Warriors won the national basketball championship. Right. Al McGuire's last year, right? That's right. Uh, I love, I love that 82 team that lost to the Cardinals, the, 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 the no, I know, and, yeah, Molitor and Ogilvy and Gorman Thomas. He looked like he was straight off a of softball. In the beer league. <laughs> Um, who used to play center field for a long, I mean, he ended up being a DH at the end of his career, but just picture Gorman Thomas, again, it looked straight out of a beer league softball team playing center right field. up there with, uh, Jim Edmonds for one of the most fearless center fielders I've ever seen. Like he would just run head first into walls, like warning track. It was like his feet didn't feel the warning track. Like he would just absolutely 
throw himself into walls to make catches. That was a fun team for sure, but just, you know, so close, so many years, kind of got hosed in the 1981 strike year when they, you know, would have won the combined division by a mile, but had to play the Yankees because the Brewers won the second half, Yankees won the first half, and then lost a three-game series. Oh, man, painful. Yeah, I think Fingers might have been hurt in that. He was, he was. MVP, man, shouldn't have been the MVP, but... You know, a Hall of Fame reliever, and he wasn't available. He was in the, in the postseason. So, uh, so this this Lamb Cooper thing. Do you have a preference between those two? I mean, they're pretty close in ADP, uh, but Lamb has kind of pulled ahead now. I think Cooper's the single or the double. I think Lamb has the chance to be the home run guy. So, I, I think Lamb has a path, has a plausible story where he could be like the guy on the on the magazine covers next year. It's like, oh, CD Lamb just had a 17 touchdown season. I feel like Cooper's found his group. In fact, Cooper may not be that far away from being an Ibanez all-star or if you will, a Robert Woods all-star because he's been around and he's solid and he's a little bit boring and there's other players around him who are talented. I, th- I think Lamb has a higher ceiling and I think Lamb's ADP, the last I checked, they were really close on Yahoo. I'm not sure off the top of my head where they are in other platforms. I'd be very surprised from now until the rest of draft season, assuming nothing happen nobody you know pulls a hamstring or something or breaks a foot i think lamb is ultimately going to be drafted more proactively because i think and maybe it's just the upside of the unknown right he's into year two of his career where cooper's been around for a while but i would want lamb i think lamb is is the clear preference with those two guys yeah i'm kind of with you i mean he he is the guy and you phrased that well the guy who could be on the cover of fantasy mags next year as the guy everyone wants to draft with a, a top five pick so um Kind of agree with you there. I mean, Cooper is a, a backbone guy like Robert Woods. Might not have that atmos- uh, that stratospheric upside anymore, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm taking Lamb over Cooper if I've got the choice too. Are we comfortable that Dak's going to be great right away? I want to believe it. I, I'm not really sure what I should be believing. Just what's your stance on, let's just forget drafting Dak for a second. Are you prepared to draft Cooper or Lamb, or even Michael Gallup, with the assumption that we're getting top five, top six, Dak Prescott. Yeah, I mean, so there was there's some sort of injury news I got to dig into that I saw today. Like there might be some sort of shoulder issue with him. Now, like that kind of concerns me a little. A guy who's already coming off a, a major knee injury, and and like you know we don't want the injuries to pile up here. So I've I've got to look at that a little more, but. I remember at this time a year ago, I was I looked at his 2019 season and um, kind of dug into just how much of his numbers were garbage time. Like there were, um, it occurred to me because they were getting blown out by the Packers in one game that year, and Dak had like a 400 yards second half or something just crazy, and he actually had a few games like that and and put up sort of a big percentage of his. Uh, stats in garbage time, like an an extraordinary number in games where they were, I think the Bills might have blown them out that year. And um, But then he just kind of went off in September last year, and I'm like, okay, never mind. Uh, He's just good. So I tend to believe in him and that he can rise, uh, lift all boats, but – at the same time, I don't know about you, but I think there's a big five at quarterback for sure with Mahomes, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, and Dak Prescott. Dak's at the bottom of that tier for me. 
Like he's I man, I, I feel cheated that we didn't get to see what they would have done last year with a full season. Yeah. But I like I do think more people have Dak. Uh I think most people would take Dak over Lamar Jackson. And I kind of think that's a mistake. I did I didn't get that sense. I th- I thought that Jackson was still the preference there, but um but I'm perception isn't always the easiest thing to judge. I could certainly be wrong on that. Where are you drafting Zeke this year? Where do you have I've him? I've changed ranked? my mind significantly on him. I I was not I was kind of not proactive. Let's see what's the way I want to say this. He was he was I wouldn't say a fade, but I just I just didn't think the price made sense. I was worried about maybe too too worried about Pollard closing that gap and I thought no, they they're going to play to the contract and I like that here's something that you hear a lot Zeke reported to camp in much better shape and, and lost some weight. And I know there's always going to be people who love to say, oh, best shape of his life, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, ha, ha, ha. You know, being, being more serious about taking care of your body and being in better shape, and I know sometimes guys can get too muscular, and you know this isn't always a perfect frame. But generally, when somebody shows a commitment on the eve of training camp or into training camp, that wasn't presently there. Maybe um, when they show an increase in that area, I care about that. I think about Le'Veon Bell to me looked like just a, an okay player, but a very ordinary player his first year, and then he lost. He just came into camp with a totally different body his second year and became a superstar. And I and I wonder if history is going to forget Le'Veon Bell because like so not completely, but I mean he was he was the cover boy. He was the guy that you went to your league to draft first or second, you know and and he could dominate touches and never came off the field. And remember the style he would run where he would, he would hit the hole and then he, he would stop sometimes, come to complete both feet on the ground stop before he decided what he wanted to do. And I think, man, who has the confidence to do that? And the shiftiness to pull that off. Most guys, if they tried to do that, would just get flattened right away. And the coach would yell at them. But Le'Veon Bell could do it. So Zeke coming to camp. Uh, taking it more seriously. I, I think if you maybe feel in some footsteps that, okay, I got to get serious here and, and, and let's, let's get to work and taking some pride in his, in his game. I mean, I, again, like, not that Ezekiel Elliott most years was eating potato chips on the couch and, and not working out. I don't, I don't want to make it seem like that, but I, I, I put stock in the fact of the shape he came into at camp and it's at the point now I, all, all spring and summer, I've been asking myself and other people, what do you do at three? McCaffrey's gone. Cook's gone. What do you do at three? I could take, if I was, and I, I don't know, I have a great answer. I'm not locked in on anybody. Again, I was considering Jonathan Taylor not that long ago at three. I think Ezekiel Elliott right now, him or Derrick Henry would be, if I was the third pick, Pat, you and I are co, co-managing a team. We have the third pick. I would say, hey, I, I like um, I like Henry. I like Zeke. Are you in on either one of those guys? If you know, if you are, maybe we'll take that that player. That's how I feel right now about Zeke. He's my number three or number four overall guy right now. Yeah, I would probably try to pitch you on Camara, but I would be if uh, you know if you had major reservations about Camara, I think Zeke would be a good compromise choice that we could both live with. I've Camara at five, although the Saints. The Saints still make me nervous. I don't know when Thomas is coming back. I know Hill. There's a case to be made that maybe Hill's more acceptable of a quarterback and a passer than you'd like to believe, but he's still a guy who's bounced around, and you know, we, we know Winston comes with fleas. I hate their wide receiver room after Thomas, and we don't know when they're going to get Thomas back. And even Thomas has had kind of a prickly relationship. I mean, he had more 
team suspensions last year, one, that he did touchdown zero. And I, I know he's hurt most of the year. And so the, the touchdown thing is a fluke. Nobody thinks Michael Thomas is you know, going to score two touchdowns or something like that in a full season. But even though his career high, I think it's just nine. So he, he's never actually been a touchdown dominant guy either, given the volume he's received. That offense makes me a little bit nervous. And I guess ultimately why, if we were co-managing, why I would push for Elliott is when you invest, and this sounds like an overly simplistic point, but I think you can never apply this enough with running backs. You're investing in that team. You're investing in that offense. You're investing in that infrastructure. That's why, as obvious as it may sound, when things went bad for the Colts offense, I had to run away from Jonathan Taylor, who was a player I generally liked. If you can be confident that Dak's okay. And, and again, there's some legwork we have to do, some detective work we have to do, maybe some BS detective work we have to do. But a healthy Dak lifts all boats, makes this not only a top five offense, but it could be the number one offense in football. It's capable of being that good. And I'm again, I'm worried about the Saints. The Titans have a good offense. And with Henry, it's just a matter of, can he just be Superman with the touches forever? And can he continue to produce in PPR and half PPR formats when he gets almost nothing in the passing game. I'm still willing to bet on Henry. No, like everybody's going to get, I mean, you can't, this idea that you're going to draft running backs who don't get hurt. I mean, like the top of everybody's board is McCaffrey. who just missed almost a full season. And then it's Dalvin Cook. who's got a huge medical file. I don't think there's any safe running back picks when it comes to injuries. You, you can make a, a medical hit on just about anybody. And maybe you can't make it on Nick Chubb, but then you get to worry about Kareem Hunt. How much does he play? Chubb doesn't catch the ball all that much. You can, you know, Barkley's had a lot of injury baggage in his career. You, you can, you can talk down almost anybody, but because Elliot is surrounded by, again, your running back pick is a pick on the offense. It's a pick on the quarterback. It's a pick on the infrastructure. And even though Dallas at times may be a very dysfunctional franchise, I certainly believe in this offense. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't think you'd have much trouble talking me into Elliott over Camara, especially the way we saw Camara's target count really wither on the vine last year when Taysom Hill played quarterback. And we know Taysom Hill is going to play at least as much quarterback as he did last year and possibly a lot more. So that's something to be worried about there. Um, well, we're already into overtime, Scott, and I don't want to make this the uh, – you know, triple overtime Celtics Suns game from 1976. Uh, and I swear to any Phoenix Suns fans who are listening, I'm not trying to rub your nose in it uh, with the, the Bucks reference and now the Celtics reference. But let me give you two last. Well, well do you want to talk about Jordan beating the Suns in the 90s? Should we throw that in there? <laughs> oh, too, man. Or? Now we're up to three, Scott. This is tough. Um, all right, so let me let me give you two last questions, and these can be shorter answers. I'm, I'm certainly not going to put you in a word count here or anything, but I think you can probably answer these in fewer words than you know maybe some of these more philosophical things like your stance on injuries. Um, so you were raised a Patriots fan. Are there any Patriots you're drawn to in fantasy for this year? It's it's hard to to take anybody proactively. I, I do think there's a path to Harris being not only the two-down grinder, but if Mac Jones gets in there, and I don't think Harris can catch a lot of passes with Cam, but I think Harris can catch the ball. I think there's some running backs who can't catch it or aren't going to catch it. I think Harris just hasn't been asked to do it. Now, they still have James White, and maybe you know, maybe the, the upside with Harris as a pass catcher is, is pretty modest, but I could see him catching 25, 30, 35 passes. If he did that, 
and had the the first and second down roll on this offense. The key with Harris really is getting Cam Newton out of the equation because we know Cam is always going to be such a dynamic guy at the goal line. I'm open-minded to Harris. And I, I also think um, that Jacoby Myers, it, it's a low bar to clear, but I think he's going to lead this team in catches. It, it could be, he could be like the Hunter Renfro of this team where he might have that, that 65, 723, five season. I don't know if you really get anything out of it by landing it, but if you're in formats that run deep enough, I'm in one league where 400 guys get picked. I wouldn't mind having Jacoby Myers is just, you know, one of my, you know, my seventh, eighth receiver or something like that. You might be able to get that. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned that I've got like a, a 20 some spot gap right now between Aguilar and Jacoby Myers. And I've got a little notebook, uh, things that I have to do in the next rankings update. And one is close the gap between Hagler and Myers, because uh, I've, I've that same feeling you have about Jacoby Myers. And I remember him going off. Was it uh, two years ago in the preseason where he was just yeah, like very good preseason? Yeah, player, yeah. Yeah. Like, and when guys pop like that in the preseason, like really pop, I think it's worth paying attention because uh, you know, maybe they don't necessarily break out that year, but it's something to talk away for the future. Like if, uh, you know, even if it's a, a guy going against future, uh, you know, nightclub bouncers and some of the other guys going in these preseason games, like worth paying attention to that. Like preseason is not worthless. Um, and one final thing now, you know, you grew up in New England, but now you're a, a Michigander. Uh, so you're exposed to a barrage of, of Lions news, whether you like it or not. Where are you on DeAndre Swift? You know, I just did an article of seven guys I'm fading, and I meant to have DeAndre Swift in that piece, um, but I, call, I end up calling the piece Slippery Seven, and it's like, well, if I throw Swift in, now I need a new headline. So um, maybe I'll, I'll put on Twitter that DeAndre Swift, you know, is if I added an eighth guy, it would be him. I think they're going to play Williams a lot. I think, you're again, the running back investment you make is investing in the offense and the infrastructure. I think this is a bad offense, a bad infrastructure. And it's going to be a case of, I think all your people are going to be screaming, DeAndre Swift is their best running back. Why doesn't he play more? And he's going to be in a 50-50 timeshare or maybe, God forbid, in a 40-60 timeshare. I think he's going to be underutilized by a team that isn't going to score a lot of points. I'm almost certainly not going to draft him. Yeah, I understand the sentiment, but believe it or not, and I know, like, uh, if anything, Dan Campbell seems to be giving people more reason for pessimism than optimism. But, like, the one thing he said when he came in that I really liked was that we got to figure out ways to use uh, DeAndre Swift the way the Saints use Alvin Kamara. And um, it, it just left me with the feeling like he knows he's got something potentially special there. Uh, you know, that doesn't mean he's necessarily going to be able to act on that or, you know, use him optimally. But um, and, and I do kind of think, you know, we, we saw Anthony, Anthony Lynn talk about how much he likes Jamal Williams and clearly they're going to use him. But, uh, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, you just said you just said the magic words. Anthony. Yeah, Lynn. exactly. I mean, I mean, Anthony Lynn's a, a heck of a nice guy. I, I think we all got to see him on hard knocks and, and see that he was a really decent person. But I always thought he was over his head as the Chargers head coach. And while if he does fail in Detroit, there's going to be no shame because you know, a lot of people aren't going to be paying attention to it. But I would not feel confident that Anthony Lynn's going to do the right thing or do the right thing is maybe the wrong word. I don't have confidence that Anthony Lynn is going to optimize this backfield. True. Let's hope that he can at least be Anthony Lynn's new Austin Eckler. 
Like if we got a, an Austin Eckler type season out of DeAndre Swift, I think a lot of people would be satisfied. Make it clear. Love the talent of the player. It's the situation and the coaching staff that has me concerned. Ladies and gentlemen, go find Scott Pianowski on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski. Devour his excellence written work at Yahoo Fantasy. Listen to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast and subscribe to the Breakfast Table Podcast. Pianow, my friend, thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for having me so much. Uh, apologize. I'm still working on that concise thing. Um, I, I feel bad. There's a lot of stuff in the script we didn't get to because I had such long-winded answers for so many things. But it's just, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you. It sounds like we'll, we'll both be at the King's Classic in a couple of weeks, or I guess it's like a week and a half now. So um, that overdue beer will finally be drank, maybe, maybe a second one. And uh, I can't wait. And again, um, so much love and respect for the work you do. Um, the football girl, you know, you've been a, a stalwart over there. I know they've added you to the stable football guys. And man, there's so many smart people and, and great people over there with Joe Bryant, who I have tremendous respect for. So um, I'm just glad we get to talk, man. I'm glad we get to talk about life. We get to talk about music. We get to talk about football. And uh, it's sneaking up on us, but we are not far away from real ex- exhibition games and real life football games. And, and I'm getting excited. I'm really uh, done a lot of drafting, but I, I feel like this real draft season is still August. All, all the best ball and all the fishbowl and all that. I love that stuff, but that's still the warm up to me. I feel like what I do in August will define my season. And so that really starts just about now. And, and I'm so glad we had a chance to have this talk. It just occurred to me that when we do meet up in Canton in uh, what, 11 days or so or whatever, we might be able to actually watch preseason NFL football together. So I think uh, I think you can pretty much uh, make book on that second beer happening. Yeah. The only thing that would be better is if we could play golf during the day. I I wonder if I could talk to Bob Long, who runs the Kings Classic, and ask him if I can draft remotely from the golf course, if they can just ping me when it's my pick. You know, exactly. I'm like, oh, hey, hang on, man. I'm, I'm, I'm Pat, Pat and I are, uh, we're both putting for birdie on the fifth. Can I, can I call you back in like a 90 seconds? And I'm driving. So, uh, you know, it might be interesting for me to explain to my wife why I'm leaving the house at two in the morning on Saturday to get there so I can make a tea time with Scott Pianowski in Canton, Ohio. It sounds good to me, man. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. This was a blast. Be good, Pat. And thus ends a lengthy but fun episode of Fits on Fantasy. Well, it was fun for me anyway. Hope it was fun for you too. Let me once again thank Scott Pianowski of Yahoo for coming on the show. Find him on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski. The producer of Fits on Fantasy is Calm Kelly. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Special thanks to Melissa Jacobs of thefootballgirl.com. Find her on Twitter at thefootballgirl. The music for Fits on Fantasy is provided by International Jet Sets. And the biggest thanks of all goes to you for listening and supporting the show. Your patronage truly means a lot to me. Thank you. All right, that's it for this week. Tune in again next week, and I'll be joined by another great guest. So long, everyone. This season on American Prodigies, Black Girls in Gymnastics. You'll hear about trailblazers like Diane Durham. Learn what you don't know you don't know about Dominique Dawes. 
meet superstars like Olympic silver medalist Jordan Childs and more. Hear how Black gymnasts have and continue to transform their sport. You can binge all the episodes of American Prodigies now, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 